You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. Find John 3, 16. Some of you are very familiar with that passage. Others of you may say, I don't even really know why you say that's the greatest passage. Well, we're going to be looking at it here, and if I do my job correctly this morning, I will preach the greatest sermon I have ever preached. That has nothing to do with my ability to articulate. It has everything to do with the greatest news that is contained in the greatest verse in the Bible. If you are new to the Bible, if you are new to church, if you're new to this whole Jesus thing, you couldn't have picked a better day to come to church because the verse we're about to look at in 24 words encapsulates the entire story of the Bible from cover to cover. And I don't care who you are, you can't get away from this verse. If you go to a restaurant, you may be confronted with this verse. How many of you have ever had the glory of eating at an In-N-Out burger. You've experienced the glory of an In-N-Out burger. And of course, if you got a drink under the cup, In-N-Out burger wants you to know the greatest verse in all the Bible is what? John 3.16. How many of you have teenage daughters living in your home like me? I have three of them. And if you go shopping in the mall, you may be confronted with this verse. If you go into a store called Forever 21 and walk out with bags of overpriced clothing, (laughs) you turn the bag over and what do you see? John 3.16. You turn on the radio and you listen to a song. And if you hear something like Keith Urban, then you may find out that all you ever learned and all you ever needed to know, you learned from John Cougar, John Deere, and John 3.16. You cannot get away from this verse. So what does this verse say? Let's look at our Bibles. Many of you could quote this verse by heart. If not, look on the screen. Let's all say it together. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. We're going to unpack that verse here this morning and we want to lean in and listen to what the Spirit of God would say to each heart through these 24 words. We're going to break it down into only 12 points this morning and we're going to start with this, God. Let's go through it very slowly. Let's start with God. Everything starts with God. God is the greatest being. Now, here at Harvest, we have people come to church all the time that are new uh, to the whole concept of God. Maybe you're a person that's not even quite yet convinced that there is a God. Um, Could I just kind of have a conversation with you here for a moment? Um, Would you agree that you do not know everything? Would you agree? Now, if you would say, no, Trent, I know everything, then you cannot be an atheist because you've just declared yourself to be God. And we should all bow down to the supreme being that knows everything, okay? Now, let's assume that you would answer that question and say, no, Trent, I do not know everything. Well, let's just kind of draw a circle here and let this circle represent everything that could possibly be known. 
I would ask you, what percentage of everything that could possibly be known do you think you know? Let's be generous to you and give you this much, okay? If that represents what you know of everything that could possibly be known, and yet you say, I do not know there is a God, could I simply suggest to you, maybe God and the knowledge of God exists in the part of the knowledge that you do not yet know. Now, some people would say, well, I really want to know God. I just need to expand my knowledge. And you may think that you can learn more and somehow get more of God or become more knowledgeable of God. That's not the way it works. For you to know anything about God, do you understand that God has to reveal himself to you? You say, well, I would like to know God. If God can be known, I would like to know Him. There's good news in this verse. God is a God who can be known. God has done three things, essentially, that we could talk about here this morning, to make Himself known to you. The first thing that He has done is He has created a universe that includes itty-bitty, teeny-weeny, tiny little creature called you. You are a speck of dust on the canvas of the universe, and yet God created all of it. And all you have to do is open your eyes to the knowledge there is a creation which means, by default, there is a creator. The Bible says that we are without excuse because what can be known of God can be clearly seen through the things He has made. And if you would open your eyes, you would see that this creator has an incredible imagination, he has an incredible intellect, incredible wisdom, and incredible power. God has created a world. I'm wearing a watch this morning. There are all kinds of intricate complexities to the inside of this watch. This watch didn't just happen by chance. You could put all of the parts and the components and the materials, even down to the cellular pieces of my watch, in a room and give it billions and billions of years. It would never form itself into a watch. In order to have a watch, you have to have a watchmaker. Now, the good news is this. I don't have to understand all the intricacies of this watch to look at my watch and tell time. And when I look at my watch, I am reminded of the fact it is time for you to believe there is a God. The second thing God has done to reveal himself to us is God has written a book. He has created a universe. Secondly, he has written a book. This God has spoken. How do you get to know anybody? By talking to them and listening to them. And what we have in this book that we call the Bible, it's actually a collection of 66 books. Some of them are historical in nature. They tell stories of things God has done in history. Some of them are books of wisdom. Some of them are biographies of Jesus. Some of them are teachings of the early church. All of them in collection 
is the book that God has given us in order that we may know him. He is not some unknowable God. God has spoken and he has actually told us what he is like. God has contour. He has nature. He has attributes. And by reading his words, we can know what he is like. The third thing that God has done is that he has become a man. He's created a universe, he's written a book, and he has become a man. You know the story of Christmas? One day there was a baby that arrived in Bethlehem, and that baby was the incarnate God. That means that he was God with a human body wrapped around him. Jesus was not a man who became God. Jesus, that little baby in Bethlehem, was God who became man. And through knowing Jesus, we can know what God is like. Not only the things that Jesus taught, but the things that Jesus did. And so if you want to know God, all you have to do is look at the universe. The heavens are declaring the glory of God, shouting day unto day, night unto night, the things that can be known of God. Read his word. He has spoken. He's speaking to you this morning as we look at this verse and understand that he has become a man. His name is Jesus. He is the exact imprint of the nature of God. And if you would say, I want to know God, then open your eyes and your ears to the knowledge of God and what he is saying here this morning. He is the greatest being. And that means you are not. And neither is Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali was a great man in some aspects, but he had fatal flaws, not the least of which is that he had an incredible arrogance to call himself the greatest of all time he is not the greatest of all time you are not the greatest of all time god is the greatest of all time he's the greatest being he is there can we establish that let's move on to the second of these words for god so Loved. You know, for some of you, you say, yeah, I, I know God is there. It's just he seems so far away. He seems so distant. I think he just kind of created the world and kind of stepped back, and it's impossible to kind of know him. Listen, you, what you're struggling with is not the question, is God there? You're struggling with the question, does God care about me and what's going on in my life? And what we learn from John 3.16 is not only is God there, God cares. God so loved. Now when we read the Bible, we have to understand that sometimes the words in the Bible have such greater depth than the way that we use words today. We read in John 16 that God so loved. So that word love has a thousand different meanings the way we use it. If you're a 13-year-old girl and you long to hear a boy tell you, I love you, you understand that the love of a 13-year-old boy is just a little more shallow than the love of God he has for you. 
I love tacos. Who's with me? Anybody love tacos? I love me some tacos this week. I'd like to love me some tacos later on today, right? But I also love my wife, Andrea. And when I tell my wife, I love you, it better have a different meaning than when I say, I love me some tacos. Does everybody understand there's a difference there? Okay. Do you understand the love that a man has for his wife? The love that a parent has for his child, the love that a man has for a taco is shallow in comparison to the love that God has for you. He has compassion on you. He treasures you. He cherishes you. And do you know that one of the things that God has created in you is the capacity to love? The human heart was made, created to love and be loved by God. I am talking to some people here this morning that have not been loved well. Your father abandoned you. Your spouse abandoned you. Somebody told you they loved you, and yet they left you. And so for you to even comprehend that this morning I am even lovable or that I could be loved is a stretch for you. I want you to understand no matter who you are, no matter how abused and hurt and neglected and mistreated you have been, hear me this morning. God loves you. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, I am loved by God. Do that right now. Now, if the person that just said that to you didn't say it with a whole lot of confidence, look back at them and say, you are loved. <laughs> you are loved by God here this morning. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you are treasured, you are cherished, and God loves you. For God, the greatest being, so loved the greatest motive that God loved the world, the greatest mess. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. God loved the greatest mess, the world. Now, when you see this word, the world here, we're not talking about a planet hanging in space. I'm not talking about the earth. God created the earth. What God loves is the people that occupy the earth. God loves earthlings. God loves worldlings. For God so loved the world, and yet this world is broken. Every morning we get up and we read headlines that declare this world is a mess. Just consider what happened last week just in the happiest place on earth. We read stories about a, an aspiring singer signing autographs for fans. And a maniac walks up, pulls out a gun, shoots her and kills her. A couple of days later, another maniac walks into a nightclub and murders 49 image bearers of God that God so loved. And God even so loved the man that pulled the trigger. And God even loved that man after he pulled the trigger. 
God so loved the world. And then just 24 hours after that, a little two-year-old boy playing at a Disney resort is dragged into the water by an alligator and drowned. All of that in one week's time happened in the happiest place on earth. This world is a mess. Do you understand that you have never experienced the world as God created it? That world was lost when men rejected God's plan for the world and chose to be their own God. That is what we call sin. Do you know what's wrong with the world? Have you ever asked that world after watching all the headlines? What is wrong with this world? Answer, you are. You are infected with a terminal disease. Some of you are scared to death of getting the Zika virus. If you would be half as scared of the SIN virus that is killing your soul, you would wake up to the understanding this world is broken. It is a mess. We are all infected with sin. S-I-N. It's an acronym. Selfishness. That's who you are. You think about yourself. You love yourself. You want to be your own God. And you've rejected God in this world. And as a result, this world is broken. It is falling apart. It is filled with pain and disease and cancer and heartache. And that's the only world that we have known. And the sad reality is some of you are blaming God for this world. And yet it's the result of our own independent spirit and sin in our hearts. And yet God loves the world. You say, well, I'm so glad he loved the world, but, but I, I, I need some proof. How do I really know? Glad you ask. God so loved the world that he gave the greatest act in human history. God so loved the world that he gave. Do you understand that God standing outside of time and space, knowing what's going on in the world, and loving the world, does not change anything going on in the world. God had to do something, not just feel something. So what did he do? God gave. He stepped out of where he was and he came to where we are. God gave. And what God did in that act was he gave his son. The scripture tells us this was the hinge of, it, of the entire human history. We've already read this verse this morning in our worship time. Romans 5, 8. But God showed his love. He proved his love. He demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't just come to live a model life. He didn't just come to teach us how to live. He did something that created a cosmic transaction that turned guilty sinners into pardoned saints. That's what God did. He gave his, what? Only 
son. God gave his only son. You see, the greatest being became the greatest sacrifice. The greatest sacrifice. And so God became man. Come here, Scott. About a year ago at this time, we saw this cute little guy running around. He wasn't dressed as snappy as he is today. (laughs) But um, this guy was living in a homeless shelter in downtown South Bend. Fatherless, penniless, kind of worthless. <laughs> Future did not look bright for this guy. And um, you know what we decided? We decided this guy needs a home. And so even though he had nothing to offer us, we, we kind of developed a relationship with him. And, and in reality, even though he is dressed well this morning and cute and smart and funny, he's a dirty, rotten sinner on the inside. <laughs> now, just for a minute, I want Scott to represent every person on planet Earth. Seven billion of us. If you properly understand your condition outside of Christ, you are homeless. You are penniless. You have nothing to offer God. You are fatherless. And in reality, you deserve eternal separation from God. You deserve nothing from God. What we did as a family is we went to the judge and we petitioned the judge to grant us legal guardianship of this critter right here, okay? Now, there was some expense involved in that and we had to write a big check and take care of legal fees and all kinds of different things. But you know what? He was worth it. He was worth it. The reality of Scripture, you are not. You aren't. God was not obligated to go to any expense to make you part of His family. Zach, come here. Now, this is my only begotten son. All right? Now, this guy, I remember... 19, 18 years ago, almost 19 years ago, um, he showed up, barely. Had the cord wrapped around his neck four times, his arm was like all back here, and he was blue. I'm like, really? Really? This guy didn't have a good start either. We didn't even know if he was going to make it through the first day, but he did. Came out alive, and we brought him home. Now, listen, I love this guy. As a father, if you have a son, you know there is a bond that you have with your son. Please understand what God is teaching us in this verse. The father God had a beloved son. In order to get you into his family, he had to sacrifice his only son 
to make you his son. Fortunately, the price I had to pay in legal fees to get this guy did not involve the execution of this guy. <laughs> Do you understand the only way for you to have God as your father was for Father God to execute his son. Jesus Christ, the innocent, sinless son of God. Not Zach at this point. He's a dirty, rotten sinner too. But in this example, Zach represents Jesus Christ, the sinless son of God in perfect relationship with the Father from eternity past. God the Father treated his son as if he was worthless as if he was worthy of judgment. And God the Father took the sins that belonged to you and treated his son on the cross as if he had committed every sin of every person who would ever believe so that he could treat every person who ever believed as if they were his son. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that God could treat both of us as if we had never sinned. The greatest sacrifice, thank you guys, the greatest sacrifice that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And here's a great word. Whoever, it's the greatest opportunity. You have all the access that you need to God's family, whoever you are, no matter what you have done. I, I remember when I was graduating from high school, barely, I uh, took those college entrance exams. Do you remember taking these college entrance exams, the ACT and the SAT? And, and there was a particular college I wanted to go to, and, and I sent off my scores and they sent a nice letter back, and it's like, no. No, you, you're not smart enough to come to college here. Only the smart kids get to come to our college. There are other colleges I wanted to go to. They were too expensive. And um, I couldn't get into those colleges because I wasn't rich enough. So, some of you, you live in these gated communities and the pastor comes to try to visit you and I can't get through the gate <laughs> because I don't have access. Do you understand? God is not like that. You do not have to be smart enough. You do not have to be rich enough. You do not have to be exclusive enough. You just, you just have to be a whoever. You just have to be. And God loves you. And he's given you access to the riches of uh, that he has for his son, that whoever believes, it's the greatest response. Now, please understand, everything hinges on this word. Some people that have a vague spirituality just kind of think that because God is there and God cares, that everything's going to kind of work itself out and everybody's going to kind of make it into the family. No, only those who believe. 
Now, when it talks about belief, again, it's another word we have to kind of dismantle because when we talk about believing, I, I watched a, an ESPN 30 for 30 a couple of weeks ago, and it was on the city of Cleveland, and they called it Believe Land. The reason they were Believe Landing because for 50 years they'd never won a championship until LeBron James came back, right? And all of a sudden, now they really believe. But how much did they really believe when they were down three games to one, right? I mean, you're, what, what, what we say when we say, I believe, I, I believe so. What you're saying is, I hope so. That is a different kind of belief than what we're talking about here. The, really, the better word in our language would be the word trust, depend, rely upon. And when we say we believe in Jesus, what we're saying is we are trusting in His trustworthiness. We are depending on His dependability. We are relying upon His reliability to do something for us that we could not do on our own. It is not head knowledge. Some of you believe in Jesus the way you believe in George Washington. You have to believe in Jesus the way you right now are believing in the chair you're sitting in. You see, at some point you walked in here, you looked at that chair, and you maybe not even consciously thought about it, but you put all your weight, some of it for you significant weight, on that chair, believing that chair would keep you from the ground. It's holding you up. You've been believing in it. Listen, looking at that chair right now and believing it will hold me up is not doing anything for me right now. It is not until I sit in the chair. Have you relied upon, depended upon, trusted in Jesus so much that you are putting the weight of eternity on that chair? The best example I can give you is one that I've given before. About a hundred years ago when there weren't a whole lot of things to do. There was no Netflix. There was no internet. There was, there was a man known as the Great Blondin who decided for entertainment purposes he would string a wire across Niagara Falls and then attempt to walk across it. Well, word got out about the great Blondin that he was going to do this, and of course, the crowds showed up. Now, not only did Blondin successfully walk from one side to the other, he walked back and again. He started carrying things with him. At one point, he actually brought a stove out to the middle of the wire, sat down on the wire, fixed himself an omelet, and ate it, picked up the stove, continued his journey across Niagara Falls. This guy's incredible. Well, one day, when the crowds were the greatest, he went to the crowds. And he said, how many of you believe I could take a man on my back across Niagara Falls? And the crowds cheered, we believe, we believe. He's like, are you sure you believe I can? We believe you can do it. He said, who will be first? Crickets. No one volunteered. Question, how many of them really believed? It's not until you strap yourself to the man's back that you demonstrate 
your belief. The same is true with Jesus. The great Blondin had a manager. His name was Harry Colcord. And because no one else volunteered, guess who got to go across? Harry got on his back. And the story is recorded that the great Blondin said this to Harry. Look up, Harry. A better alternative than looking down, I would suppose. <laughs> Look up, Harry. You are no longer Harry Colcord. You are Blondin. Be part of me. Mind, body, and soul. If I sway, sway with me. Do not attempt to do any balancing yourself. If you do, we will both fall to our death. There's no better way to describe the relationship that a person must have with Jesus Christ if you are going to get to the other side successfully and have eternal life. It is not standing on the sidelines, kind of distantly admiring Jesus. It is strapping yourself to his back, putting all of your weight, all of your dependence upon him, clinging to him for your very life, swaying the way he sways. Stop trying to do any balancing on your own. Trust, depend, rely upon the ability of another. Otherwise, you're dead. Have you really believed in Jesus? Have you? What's the evidence that you are trusting in, relying upon, and depending upon Jesus? Where does your mind go? What are your appetites? How do you spend your time? Is it a demonstration you're clinging to Jesus? Or are you clinging to your salary and clinging to your reputation, clinging to you, the world's ability to entertain you? Do you believe in Jesus? If you're going to believe in Jesus, you have to stop believing in yourself and recognize you need a Savior. Believe in Him. The greatest Savior for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him. Now do you understand that the implication is there is no other Savior that can save? The problem with our world is they will try to give us substitute saviors. They will give us a vague spirituality or a sentimental type of religion. And the worst savior of all is the savior of self. No one comes to Jesus until they think they need him. Jesus never becomes a reality until he becomes a necessity. As long as you think your religion will save, as long as you think your good behavior will save, as long as you think that your family or your church or your religious practice will save you, you will never believe in Jesus. Righteousness is in Him alone. Forgiveness is in Him alone. Pardon is in Him alone for salvation. 1 John chapter 5, verse 12 says, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Do you understand? Only Jesus can give you eternal life. Whoever believes in Him should not perish. That is the great escape. Do you understand what will happen to you 
if you do not believe in Jesus, there is an eternal separation from Christ that will happen at the day of your death where there is no longer any opportunity for you to believe. That place in the Bible is described as a place of eternal conscious torment. We call it hell. The Bible talks about the fire of hell and the hell of fire. You may say, do you think the flames are literal flames? I kind of think the flames are figurative for something much worse than the fire that we would experience here. To be eternally separated from God, to perish with no longer any opportunity to be made right with God. That's what he saves from. It's the greatest escape. And if you don't choose Christ, your eternity will be chosen for you. We will all live forever somewhere. Only those who believe have a place in heaven. But, that's the greatest conjunction. But, do you understand that every person that comes to Christ has a story with a but in it? I was going one way. I was doing my own thing. I was on my way to sin, selfishness, and hell. But, God, turn the direction of my life. Listen, does your story... Anywhere in your history include a but. If you cannot point to a time when God changed the course of your life, He changed your eternal destiny, you need a conjunction to turn your life from sin and self to the Savior Jesus. Every story needs the greatest conjunction. But we were, by nature, children of wrath. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love, which He loved us, has made us alive. Ephesians chapter 2. Whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have. That's the greatest assurance do you have it? It is a possession that we take as a free gift of God. Do you have eternal life? You can know with absolute confidence that you have Jesus, that you have eternal life. Some of you have been in faith systems where they kept you guessing. They said, well, you can't really know for certain that you're going to heaven. Do you know why they tell you that? It's because they think if if you believed with absolute confidence you were on your way to heaven, you'd stop working, you'd stop trying harder. That's religion. Grace is this. I work for Christ. I worship Christ. I love Christ. I serve Christ because I have it. Not to obtain it, but because I have it. Do you have it? You can know for certain. The Bible says that the Bible was even written so that you could know you have it. John 5, 1 John 5, 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, not hope, but know that you have eternal life. It is not arrogance to say, I know 
that I have eternal life. As a matter of fact, it's a great act of humility to say, there's no other way I could have it. I'm trusting Christ. I'm clinging to Him. Therefore, I know He can get me to the other side. I have this. I have it. Do you have it? And here's the last thing. Eternal life. It's the greatest gift. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Do you understand that once you have it, no one and nothing can take it away from you. It's eternal. The definition of eternal never ends. It starts now and it never ends. God keeps giving the life to you because you have it. You say, well, what if I sin? That's why Jesus died for your sin. Was it enough or was it not? Did he die for some sin, not all sin? No, you have this gift. You say, well, what if I completely reject Christ and walk away? Then you didn't have it. It's eternal life. And when it talks about eternal, it's not just a measure of quantity. It's a measure of quality. It's an upgrade over whatever kind of life you had outside of Christ. Can I ask you this question? We're finished. Do you have it? God wants you to have it. He loves you. You've come to church. You've been in a system. You've been in a good family. You're a good person. Do you have it? If you don't have it, I'm calling you to climb on his back, cling to him, sense his spirit drawing you and granting you faith to believe. In a moment, we're going to bow our heads. I want to give you an opportunity to be born again. You must be born again. If you don't know that you have it, listen, you probably don't. Because once you have it, you know it. It changes the course of your life. Do you have it? Do you believe? You say, I'm not, I, I don't know, but I want it. I want it. If you want it, do you understand God put that desire in you? And you can have it. Let me ask you to bow your heads. Heads are bowed, eyes closed. What an incredible offer, an opportunity that God has given that whoever here today wants it can have it. You want it? The scripture says that with the mouth we confess that Jesus is Lord and in the heart we believe and are saved. So two things need to happen if you want this gift of eternal life. Number one, you have to confess it. That means it's a public declaration. No secret saints. You, you say it out loud. Jesus is Lord. I am not God. Jesus is God. I want to follow him the rest of my days. I will worship him. I will serve him. I will love him because he gave so much to love me. And to believe in your heart. In order to believe in Jesus, you have to stop believing in yourself. You have to stop clinging to lifeless religion. Do you believe? Right now in your heart, God knows what's going on. Your heart may kind of be beating out of your chest right now. Your seat may be getting hot. You know what that is? That's the Spirit of God loving you enough to open your eyes to the truth of the gospel. 
Would you right now, if you want eternal life, you don't have it, but you want it, would you tell the Lord, God, I believe. I believe that what Jesus did on that cross was payment to purchase me as one of your sons. God, I am like Scott, fatherless, homeless, penniless. And I recognize that you gave your sons to make me one of your sons or daughters. I turn from my sin. Help me never to be ashamed of you. Now with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you just wrapped your life around Jesus Christ as the only Savior, I want to know about that. I want to pray for you. I want to encourage you. If you've done that today, would you just lift your hand in the air? I just want to take a second and acknowledge that. Thank you. Are there others? Stick your hand in the air. Let me see that real quick. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. Thank you. Are there others? For some of you, that's kind of percolating in your soul. You're kind of wondering if you need to do that. I know what a lot of you are doing. You're doing the same thing I did. You're thinking, well, I did it, but I'm not going to tell anybody. You know what? You're going to walk out of here and you're going to doubt whether or not it was really true. This is what I'm going to give you an opportunity to do. We're going to stand. Micah's going to lead us in a song. But as soon as we stand, for those of you that have lifted your hand, for those of you that maybe didn't lift your hand, but you want to come and acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Savior today. You're not going to stand in front of the church and give a testimony. None of that's going to happen. But it is important that maybe you come to a pastor and just have that pastor pray for you and with you and encourage you. We've got some materials we would love to give you to help you get started on your journey with Christ so that you can know that you know that you know that you have eternal life. When we stand, I want those of you that today have been born again or maybe you want to be born again. You need some questions answered. I want you to stand and I want you to step and keep stepping until you get out into that aisle. Come down here. You'll be greeted by a pastor, an elder, and just want to spend a few minutes with you. I want to give you some materials before we send you out of here today. Be bold. Be courageous. Don't be ashamed to confess Jesus Christ as Lord today. So I'm going to pray for you as soon as I say amen. We're going to stand. I want you to step. I want you to come. Father, today, thank you for your word. Thank you for the promise of eternal life that we found in this verse. And God, we stand in awe of your love for sinners like us, that you would draw us into your family, that you would make us sons and daughters because you poured out the wrath that was meant for us on your son. And Father, we, we live in awe of that. Change our lives. I pray for courage and boldness for some that today need to come and confess Christ as Savior. Declare that you are their Savior. Pray that they wouldn't hesitate, but come immediately. All for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.